Hello listeners, it's Lewis. Just a little message to let you know that we'll be taking next week off, so our next episode will be coming to you Wednesday 5th of May. But keep an eye out on our socials as we'll be releasing a few bits and bobs during the week, even with no new episode. We've been checking our podcast rankings, and thanks to you, the listeners, we were just outside the top 30 podcasts in the UK for TV reviews last month, which for our little Muppet Baby pod is just amazing. We really want to keep spreading the word about Muppet Sational, so if you have enjoyed the show, we'd love you forever if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or gave us a little shout out on your Twitter, Insta or Facebook. Make sure to tag us at Muppet Sational and you never know, we might even give you a little shout out to say thank you on a future app. It's like Cameo, but free and not from a celebrity. And now back to our feature presentation. Hello and welcome to Muppet Sational, the Muppet Show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week, it's season one, episode eight, starring the diminutive and talented Paul Williams. It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppetsational! Yay! Yay! Woo-woo! Yay! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Muppetsational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jade Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. And we have got probably the most 1970s, 26 <laughs> minutes of television. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have ever seen. It was <laughs> what a ride. <laughs> Jade, why don't you hit us with a little bit of the production information? So this episode was originally broadcast on the 10th of October 1976. So it actually aired the week before our last episode, just to put everyone in the right frame of mind here. The production code lists it as the eighth episode, and so Disney Plus have now included it as the eighth episode in the season. It was written by Jack Burns, Mark London, Jim Henson and Jerry Jewell, and directed by Peter Harris. And Emma, please tell me more about Paul Williams. Well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, Paul Williams was a prolific composer, singer and actor, and he did songs for The Carpenters, Barbara Streisand, Daft Punk, and also he was the main composer slash songwriter for Rainbow Connection. Yay! I know! From the Muppets film, and he actually got an Oscar nomination for that particular song. And he also did a lot of songs over the years for different Muppet TV shows and films. He is, yeah, I was looking at his Wikipedia, like... The fact that his career can go from, like, writing the TV theme to The Love Boat, to writing (laughs) (laughs) Rainbow Connection, to working with Daft Punk, to, like, having his songs covered by David Bowie. He auditioned for The Monkees, like... He also, I saw, auditioned for The Mickey Mouse Club. Aww. We're talking about entertainment royalty here, really, aren't we? You know, in terms of, like, the, the scope and the scale of his career. And... Emma, you said was. I just want to uh, clarify to everyone, he is still alive. He is still with us at the moment. <laughs> oh, sorry, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> just just to clarify. I was surprised he was still alive. <laughs> it's those tiny jeans. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did anybody else think he looked like a mix between Philip Seymour Hoffman and the man who killed John Lennon? <laughs> oh, I thought he looked like a mix of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Toby Jones. That was the yes. vibe I was getting. Yep. Yes, it was. It was a very strong vibe and a very strong yeah. 70s vibe with the glasses, the flares, the hair, the zips, the collar, <laughs> everything. <laughs> it was peak 70s. This whole episode was just a mixture of like shaggy haired 1970s like singer songwriter troubadour, absurdism and just off the wall like crazy. Just like right from the beginning. And even though I, I really loved that opening sketch, all of me. It was mad. The first thing I want to say about it is I read that apparently, because obviously it's a single take, it took them 22 times to do it, to get oh, that perfect my... take. Wow. So I suppose the sheer commitment to do that 22 times to get the perfect take, you have to give it up for that. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? It's amazing. I think we've spoken quite a lot about how the opening sketch kind of sets the tone for the episode or sometimes <laughs> doesn't set the tone for the episode. And I feel like with this one... I, I felt very kind of, okay, I'm in I'm in sort of safe Muppet territory in terms of it being a play on words with the words of the song and then literally the Muppet doing what it is. But then I think because of the, what do we call that? Like the black lighting and the, the blackout yeah. and everything like... It did take it to that next level of zany absurdism, didn't it? Totally. I, it was just, I just was so enamoured by it. I just, because mm. as soon as they... The song started. I mean, I, I know this song. And I was just like, oh, he's he's handing off bits and pieces of himself. And just, I couldn't see the joins. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, the way it was done, I mean, to find out they then took them 22 times to do that makes a bit more sense. But it really was flawlessly done. Like, there was no moment where I sort of felt like, oh, I've seen how they've done that. Like, I was genuinely sort of like, wow, this is amazing. This is so good. And... It was so impressive. I really loved it. Like, just appreciation of the puppetry, but then also it was funny. It was so Muppets. And even though that second Muppet wasn't really doing anything other than accepting the gifts into his chest to collect all of me, <laughs> the reactions, I thought, of the second Muppet were really, really good too. Like, mm. he was kind of following along and looking kind of looking like, oh, okay, now I've got your lips, now I've got your heart, now I've got your hands. There was really good interaction between them as well, because I think it could have been quite a static kind of thing if it had just been one Muppet handing over bits mm. of themselves, but it wasn't. It reminded me a lot of, there's an old, like, Muppets sketch, which precedes The Muppet Show, is a, a sketch that Jim Henson, you know, with his Muppets, did on another TV show that's called uh, I've Grown Accustomed to Your Face which has one Muppet sort of singing to this other, like, quite friendly-looking Muppet face. And then the face folds out to be a much more kind of, like, aggressive one. Like, it eats its first face. And then it starts beginning to eat the other Muppet. Mm -hmm. And it's and I actually saw them do it live. The Jim Henson Muppet Workshop sort of went to the Edinburgh Fringe a couple of years. Like, doing they did an improv show called Muppet Up, which they would do with puppets. Or Puppet Up, because I don't think they could be called... The Muppets anymore? I can't remember. Um, but they also would perform some of these old sketches as well. And this was one of them. And it has that slightly more like anarchic, dangerous energy, which I don't think you necessarily associate with the Muppets as we know them now, which feel very cosy and very sort of like fun and madcap. But like there's a sort of weird sort of slightly dangerous energy to this one as well, where it's like this puppet is literally dismantling himself and putting it into a chest. And they're both like not cute looking Muppets. They're quite sort of like looking. 
it just had yeah again it added to that 1970s energy that felt very sort of uh, vibing throughout all of this emma what did you think yeah no to begin with when i it opened up and obviously you had like the little flower frame around it i was a bit like okay what's happening but then actually (laughs) when you got into it it was really good and really clever and yeah just kind of like a zany 70s kind of like opening and a lot of fun and like you say like the effort they obviously put into it when as jade said how long it took to make it um i just think it was really good it kind of just showed Mm. like their craftsmanship and their quality and yeah, I think it was just a really, it was a really fun opener. Also, one of the issues I had with the Juliet Prowse dancing giraffes was the lack of care and attention to using mm. the black lighting with those giraffes. And this was actually the complete opposite. So I guess it also showed how far they'd come between, she was the second episode they'd done, and this was the eighth and maybe it's the difference because there was no human interacting with the Muppets. Yeah, so they were right. able to, yeah. you know, they were able to do it 22 times to get it perfect. But it paid off. It worked. So, you know, good. I'm, I've got high hopes for more using more of that technique in the future and maybe even mm. bringing a human into play with it too. A strong opening, I think. Which was then immediately ruined by the introduction of the runner and scooter for me. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, I think you need to talk to someone about Scooter. I'm getting a bit worried about uh, how down on Scooter you are. <laughs> Look, it's a shame really after these sort of last few episodes that we've seen that have felt a lot more consistent with both the onstage and offstage action that we then come to, for me, quite a sort of weak runner for the episode. I don't know what either of you two thought of the telephone pole business that sort of went through it well i suppose the first thing to say is did either of you because i didn't did either of you see the eventual gag coming of fozzy being a polish telephone at the end no i didn't either to be fair i'm not saying that's a good thing i'm just wondering whether you saw it because it was so one note and it was so repetitive whether you kind of figured oh that's what this is going to be because i i didn't have a clue what was coming i didn't enjoy the gag but you know, <laughs> I didn't know what was coming. <laughs> it was an unpleasant surprise. Just, <laughs> I think it would have genuinely have been funnier to have just seen Fozzie Bear dressed up as a telephone. Yeah, pole, which, is, which than... is where I thought we were going, but we uh, we didn't. <laughs> we just got an unexpected but also unpleasant, <laughs> just kind of like alternative. But Fozzie knew what was up right from the beginning. Again, you know, Scooter's trying to foist his way onto stage because, you know, he feels he's entitled to it. And Fozzie's like, no, I'm not doing this sketch. (laughs) He knew. Um, I felt like this episode really underlined a lot of the writing and again, very 1970s comedy writing that we've been seeing Mm. with repeated setups and punchlines of jokes, which we've already seen throughout the other episodes we've covered. But with this one, we had it the first time when Fozzie made the comment about how he had 10 jokes about the 1812 war. And then Scooter's like, Mm. don't panic. And then he's like, oh, no, you should be panicking. And then you had that again with Paul Williams with the repeated jokes about him being short. But you had exactly the same kind of setup Mm. and punchline when he was surrounded by Sweetums and Thog and one of the mutations with him being like, you know, this is the first time I've been the tallest man Oh, it's the first time I'm going to cry on TV. And that kind of, that patter and that repeated, it's one thing, oh no, it's another thing. It just feels sort of cheap and lazy and not particularly kind of inventive writing in any way, shape or form. I think compared to the last couple of episodes we've had where the comedy has come from 
characters or guests interacting with one another and so the jokes are more kind of conversational or incident based whereas the exact correct word like patter does feel incredibly Mm. dated now as a kind of entity it's kind of like when you see comedians now who just kind of stand there and do puns it feels so like out of time of where we are now and where comedy has kind of moved to yeah this episode did feel like a slight I don't want to say step back it's more just sort of like a step into the more kind of like variety show patter rather than the Muppets and their interaction with one another providing the laughs and so maybe it, it yeah it just does date itself a lot more for us watching in 2020 because we're just not really used to that kind of patter and like it's kind of it feels almost kind of like you know who's on first yeah exactly exactly and I think actually you can yeah you can take the conversation back and say there was no real character development in this episode whereas you know in the last episode we did have Miss Piggy coming into her own a little bit more which was where a lot Mm. of the humor derived from but with this because fozzy was leading the backstage stuff and fozzy i mean i guess we've had a tiny bit of character development with fozzy but most of most of the character development with fozzy revolves around him either not being funny thinking he's getting kicked off the show not really (laughs) knowing what he's doing with his routine so it lends itself doesn't it to those honey one-liners and I mean, I, there were moments, I guess, like when the woodpecker was attacking him and when the telephone worker came through and strung the wire across his nose. You know, I didn't... I did laugh yeah, at that, funny. to be fair. Yeah. There were some nice moments in there. But then the fact that that was the runner throughout the whole episode and there was nothing else, it was literally just that, did feel pretty weak in comparison to... To the last few. I think maybe naturally we just have a preference for wanting the business that happens backstage to be Muppet interplay. And then I don't mind then if like puns or more absurdist stuff happens mm-hmm. on stage because that's them doing a bit. Whereas I don't, I kind of don't want bits off stage. I want them to be, I keep saying interacting, but I just, yeah, I just well, want, want them yeah, to be. You want, you want the development of their relationships. You want, yes. you want to see what would actually, you know, Spoiler alert, should the Muppet Theatre be actually a real place and exist? You want to see what's going on backstage at the Muppet Theatre, not yes. just, yeah. you know, Fozzy doing bits. You want to see Piggy trying to get Kermit's affection. You want to see Gonzo figuring out that he's actually perfect for a human cannibal and maybe not Andy Warhol or whatever. Like, I just, <laughs> you know, I, I like, yeah, I don't think I agree with you, Lewis, completely, which is fine, do the 1970s comedy stuff on stage, but actually you almost want it to be a bit more of a sitcom behind stage. Yes, but not The Muppets <laughs> 2014 <laughs> ABC show. We we don't want that. <laughs> I mean, it had its moments, but it went through about six showrunners, the poor show. I mean, I just feel sorry for the show, to be honest. Like, it didn't stand a chance. <laughs> oh, good grave. So once we'd uh, finished backstage, obviously we go on stage for Paul's first number. We do, yeah. I think it's quite sweet. It's quite a melodic song and I think it's actually quite clever. So yeah, we go into a song called An Old Fashioned Love Song and obviously we start off with him in what I'm assuming is his bedroom with the lovely <laughs> rain effect on the window. <laughs> I, know, I was like, where is he? I know, where where is he? And then he starts singing and then obviously... He says two-part harmony. So then you get Paul Williams, 
Muppet number one come up and do a little bit with him and then he goes back into the jukebox and then he talks about a three part harmony and then two come out of the jukebox and then you've got the jug band they reappear <laughs> I know the hick Muppets making <laughs> like their third or fourth appearance I thought this was quite an alarming insight into what might be happening to the guest host's clone Muppets. <laughs> They're just being kept in boxes and allowed to come out to perform skits and then get put back away. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was quite cleverly filmed for the fact that you've got the perspective of him sitting there and then they're coming out of the jukebox and then all around him and it like the jukebox seems small you know what I mean like especially at the end when they all sort of go back into it but then they do a shot like they come out a bit and then they show a bit more depth of the room as well so I think like they've really shot it quite cleverly to kind of because, you know, obviously sometimes we said when we've seen the dance sketch, you can tell they're really tilting the camera up and it's like super obvious what's going on. I did actually think that they did this quite well in this particular number. Yeah, and I, I, I actually thought for a song, it was actually quite enjoyable and quite melodic. And I don't know actually if it was something that Paul had her hand in writing. Yeah, it was one of his songs. Yeah, I just I thought it was quite a good song, to be honest. I was kind of relieved once the Muppets started showing up. I was quite worried that it was going to be just a Paul Williams sings a number to camera kind of thing. And then it just exploded with all these Muppets, including one of the Tomorrow Singers as yeah. well. It was, yeah, it was Jerry Nelson's Muppet. <sighs> Very good. Lovely. Yeah, I was the same, Lewis. I, especially when we had the rain on the window to start with, I was like, yep. oh no, what is happening? <laughs> what sad song are we getting now? And to start with, before the Muppets showed up, I was very kind of, withholding my judgment and just sort of like oh please don't just be an elusive butterfly situation i can't be dealing with that um, but then as soon as the little mini paul williams muppet showed up i was like oh this is adorable and also like that muppet is really cute and not kind of slightly creepy 1970s looking like the real paul williams is Yay! <laughs> so true <laughs> Oh, he was a peculiar oh, looking man. He was. I mean, there's a reason he was a songwriter, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, look, Jade, oh. he still made lots of appearances on stuff and like acted in things. Like, But that's the thing, in the 70s, they casted more characterful faces. It's like, oh. I don't know. <laughs> Did you two notice something that was on Paul Williams's bedroom shelf behind him? No. There was something that looked... Very much like a little blackface figurine type oh. thing on the shelf behind him. What you mean, like a like a gollywog? Yeah, um, it was Ooh, weird. I didn't notice that at all. No, I didn't either. Yeah, it was only because I was I was the same. I think you both kind of said it too. I was really looking at the room and I was like, "Where is he meant to be?" And then I spotted the bed, and I was like, "Oh, okay, right. This is this is his bedroom. I can <laughs> I can deal with that." And then I spotted this on the shelf, and I was like, "Uh, what is that?" Um, hold on. Can you see here? Can you see my mouse? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. That... I don't know whether I can zoom in or not. <laughs> was it, was it they say on, like, CSI? <laughs> zoom in and enhance. <laughs> I don't know if I can... Oh, no, it's... Look, it's doing the thing. It's not doing the... But, oh, yeah, look no. there. Yeah, that, that, that does look slightly worrying. It looks like... Oh, I mean, benefit of a doubt, maybe some, you know, like, some of that, like, non-specific tribal art you can oh, i don't know lewis the lips on that are not i know that are not it... giving me those vibes they're giving me gollywog vibes oh, to be honest dear. i mean it didn't completely ruin the song for me or anything but i was just so sort of taken aback when i saw it because 
It's just so needless. Like, there's just absolutely no reason for that to be there at all. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't clocked it. No, I hadn't, to be honest. Uh, But yeah, that is a very. What an odd choice. I mean, (laughs) it just adds again to the 1970s of this episode that that would be considered appropriate set decoration. But. We live and learn. And then uh, we slide into quite an absurd little sketch. I think it's the first time <laughs> we see it as well. Muppet Labs with the all-purpose tenderizer. <laughs> I felt robbed. Like, I was like, where the hell is Beaker? Like, where is he? I don't think he exists at this point. I was livid. I think they added him later because it wasn't quite working with Honeydew on his own. I was so upset when we saw Dr. Bunsen turn up and I was like, oh my God, is it, is it really going to happen? <laughs> and then we got like a fairly nice sketch, but I just kept, I was thinking, oh my God, he's going to tenderize Beaker and Beaker's going to become like all floppy. And <laughs> then he didn't show up and I was really sad. Oh, <laughs> I really, like, I really enjoyed this sketch though. I mean, it was so good to see Muppet Labs because obviously it is, it is the first time we've seen it on the show. I also wasn't sure whether it was even going to be in this season, whether it was something that kind of came later as a, mm. you know, as a future edition. I was just like kind of mesmerized by those mainframe 1960s IBM computers in the background. I was like, oh, oh high tech Muppets. Congratulations. Your grant came through. <laughs> <laughs> in the world of the Muppets being this troupe of performers that have this engagement at the theatre. Why do they have a laboratory? <laughs> like, why Why does the Muppets have a research and development department for, like, new technology? It doesn't actually make any goddamn sense. The only thing I can think of is that is a bit like Jay said, it's a research grant, so that's how they get their money. <laughs> <laughs> So you think they've swindled some sort of like, yeah, they've applied for something and they're like, oh yeah, we're a scientific institution and they're just doing it for, yeah, doing it for the cash. Because I was like, it's not even like they're doing, you know, kind of like that performative kind of science, you know, like you pour this into that and they're like, wow, it's an explosion or like, oh, the volcano like shoots out lava. It's like, no, they're just developing products. It's a side hustle. (laughs) It is a side hustle. Like, I had just never really thought about it before in a sort of, in a literal way. Like, it'd be like me saying I'm an actor, but I'm also like a research technician. Like, but I'm not. I'm a waiter. Maybe they just got so into their roles of playing research technicians that in the end they were like, yeah, why don't we just apply for some grant money? And yeah, sure. What? Like, let's take it to the next level. They've just gone really method on it. <laughs> I thought the um the kind of sound effects that accompanied it were really clever because obviously mm. like you could see that that plate was already kind of wobbly and very <laughs> it stuck it stuck to Bunsen's side of his hand before he'd even sprayed it. I was like, oh damn it! <laughs> probably they probably used up too much of their day doing the twenty two takes of um, all of me. So they were like, no, we've only got one. T- we've only got one take from Muppet Labs. Let's go. I also was slightly concerned when he was rubbing the plate on him and saying that it sets him all a quiver. I was like, okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to also make this weird, um, I did really want to touch that tenderized table. That looked so pleasing. <laughs> like, not to get creepy again, but I was like, I want to press my fingers into the table. and like. It did look like something from like a play pit 
like from when we were younger yes. you know a soft a soft foam area yeah, yeah. just like tactile <laughs> touch Even it impression. i want to touch it <laughs> i want to touch it <laughs> i did <laughs> oh. but yeah i it was nice enough but i just when will my husband beaker return from war like that's how i felt like <laughs> when will my twin come come to the show? I can't wait. I'm very excited for his eventual appearance, but I realise I may be waiting for a while. I was gonna say I don't I don't know how long you're going to be waiting, Lewis, but I hope Beaker makes an appearance soon. Cause it was weird seeing Bunsen without Beaker. Yeah, it was. It was strange. What did you both make of Rolf's little poem and the entire it seemed like the entire Muppet family <laughs> trying to disrupt him just saying his little ditty. I thought it was quite quite good fun. Yeah no I really enjoyed it. I was like oh poor Rolf he's trying to do his poem and everyone is ruining it for him but um, <laughs> no my, my favourite bits were probably when George comes on to start to sweep and then he keeps giving a look to the camera. George's little eyebrow yeah. raise. I was so impressed by that. The eyebrow raise was really cool. I loved it. And then just everything like Piggy walking on and eating her apple and then you <laughs> had like the squawking bird animal like pushed on on his drums on the end <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I just thought it was it was really good. I thought it was brilliant. And I was worried at first that it was literally just going to be a poetry reading. <laughs> and uh, It could have been. I, just, I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> but the, the sort of perfect escalation and it just got so ludicrous. I really, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. And yeah, the squawking bird was just like... <laughs> just... All of it. I thought like, I mean, I guess... As, as you said, like where it was escalating, you were kind of preempting what was coming based on what he was saying. Mm. And he said something about wailing a sad song and then Wanda turned up to wail her sad yeah. song. I know, she rolls up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I also loved that George at one point cut in front of Rolf, which I thought was really, really funny because... It was just, you could see Rolf was just like, what is going on? Like, how dare you cut in front of me? I am doing my piece to camera and you're just sweeping. Like, go away. Part of the joke almost was it played on what you already start to associate with certain Muppets. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you say drums, you know it's going to be animal. You hear the word wailing, Wanda's going to come on. It's already building up the like, oh, we know who these characters are. It's kind of like, you know, when you have like the side characters in the Simpsons, like the citizens of Springfield, you, you, once you've sort of seen them a few times, you're then familiar with what their shtick is. And so you can just drop them into scenes and just their presence can be mm. funny. And it kind of feels like that. And it's, it, it trusts that the audience knows who these characters are, that it's not just off the rack Muppets coming in and being like, I'm singing a song. It's like, oh, there's Animal because he plays the drums. And oh, look, there's this Miggy and she's eating, I guess, because she's a pig. Like little bits and bobs like that, that it's trusting the audience, but also means that they, the writers, know who these characters are as well. And I think it bodes well for future, maybe jokes, sketches, stuff off stage and on stage that these characters are becoming specific to them. Yeah, I completely agree. And I actually, one of the things I struggled with a little bit in this episode was there were quite a few different sketches where it wasn't like the main Muppet cast that were central to it. So obviously starting with All of Me, 
then also like you had the um the travel agent sketch with my beautiful day muppet or something like that we'll get to it anyway and then like the frog chorus with the little whatnot girl mm. and actually the the moments that we saw muppets like piggy like gonzo like animal were either in the background or in these kind of like mass situations either singing along with paul williams at mm. the end or like with this with rolf so it was nice to see that development, but also I felt like, in a way, that was kind of what was missing from many of the other sketches of the episode, which I think made this stand out even more, because it was so nice to see them all. That's a good point. Thanks, Lewis. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> You're I welcome. make them. <laughs> Occasionally I treat, I treat you to a little nugget. <laughs> I didn't mean no, I know, condescending. Right. I just, I just, just the way it came out. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> One, well, one negative point was that it was immediately followed by a, a ballroom sketch. Oh, but in between you had the um, the tallest person, didn't you? Oh, yeah. With Now, what was it? Trog? What's the name of the big Thog. one? T-H-O-G. Oh, Thog. I'm Thog. sorry. Trog. I'm thinking of that 1970, no, 1960s Joan Crawford movie she made like right near the end of her career. <laughs> where she's play, playing a scientist who's having to deal with a, a troglodyte, like a sort of uh, Neanderthal man. Anyway, that's not important. <laughs> He's a really big Muppet. He's enormous. He's absolutely huge. I don't know whether it's like... It's not two people stood on top of each other, is it? I mean, no. I think it must be like a big bird yeah, scenario where a, a hand or maybe two hands are reaching up to just uh, operate the mouth. But that thing was huge, huge. I wanted to hug it. <laughs> <laughs> Did either of you look up how tall or short Paul Williams actually is? Because I, I'm on it. Yeah, Let me have a look. I meant to, and then I forgot. Let's have some guesses. I'm going to say five foot three. I reckon he's probably not like. As short as... He's probably just a bit short for a man. I'll go 5'4 if Emma's going 5'3. I think I was going to go 5'4 as well. Mm. No, I'm going to go 5'5. Five, five. <laughs> okay. All right, let's have this a look. This is when he's 4'11 and we're like, oh, okay. Oh my God, I think he's 5'1. One. <gasps> what? 1.57 metres equals 5.1509119 feet. Does that mean he's 5'1? Wow. That is short. <laughs> Now I feel like all of those jokes were justified. That's a very short man. I wonder he had his lifts on. <laughs> Something that wasn't short this week, see, I'm going to go back into it again, check this link, was the ballroom <laughs> sketch. <laughs> Which I felt had a slightly higher hit rate this week. Okay. My favourite one <laughs> was the... Uh, I was a librarian! <laughs> that was my favourite too. That was the only one that like genuinely made me laugh. It yeah. was good. <laughs> I cackled. I I love a screechy voiced blonde. <laughs> and we got another twist on uh, animals' uh, dip joke yeah. by Trip instead with his uh, partner, which felt slightly cruel. Janice had her weird voice she again. She did, I know. I was like, oh, is Janice playing a role again? Is this her boring <laughs> persona? Or have we still just not found Janice's voice? Yeah, I feel like we haven't got there yet. <laughs> Yeah. She still has her uh, Madonna British inflection. <laughs> she does, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of weird British inflections, 
Piggy back suddenly having a Richard Hunt voice again. Mm, I know. I found that really jarring. Particularly after last week. Yeah. It makes no sense to me that at that point they wouldn't have been like, right, it's Frank Oz. <sighs> yeah, it's, it is bizarre that you you actually do a bit of character development for a character and then you're like, oh no, you can go back to having whoever be your puppeteer in your voice. I mean, I just, I just don't get it. No, it's very strange. The only thing I can think is maybe they just filmed a bunch of these ballroom sketches in a block. That's true. Do you know what I mean? And and maybe it's just that Frank Oz wasn't there and Richard Hunt was, so... Frank Oz is playing George in those ballroom sketches. He's the janitor. <sighs> well, that makes it even more confusing because then it's like, I suppose maybe at that point they didn't know Piggy was going to become a lead Muppet, if you know what Mm. I mean. Maybe at that point she was more sort of ensemble and then kind of broke out. You might be onto something there because the guest star is never in the ballroom sketches. Maybe they did just film film them in big batches. But we got a fun librarian character, so that's (laughs) (laughs) all. It justified its presence this week, just about. Emma, what did you think of the uh, the song that followed this, the little frog number? Yeah, so again, we kind of hit the UK spot with uh, Mary Louise and her chorus of frogs, and I'm in love with. Oh, a... this was the yeah, UK spot. Yeah, okay. and so we've got yeah, I'm in love with a big blue frog. Um, kind of random. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what it kind of made me think of? Obviously, you know you've got Kermit in the background and you can distinguish it's Kermit because obviously of his eyes and you recognise him, but it kind of felt like the other frogs were kind of like reject Kermit's, but also I did notice the little frog at the front. So I'm wondering if that's like the beginning of Robin. Yeah. yeah. Like if that little baby frog. Yeah, it was quite a quite an odd number. I mean, I don't know what you guys thought about I it. I didn't not enjoy it, but that kind of background noise that they were making the whole time when they weren't ribbiting there was like the other noise they were making Mm. that's like a nightmare noise to me like that's the sort of noise that gets stuck in my head when i'm trying to sleep and it's 3 (laughs) a.m and i'm being driven completely insane there were a couple of quite lengthy gaps yeah there was between the verses where they were just making that noise and she was just like dancing around and i was like please just start singing again please but Kind of typical UK sport. I don't think the Americans particularly missed out on anything great. Just a fun little silly song. I did enjoy sort of the little variations between all the different frogs. Like Mm -hmm. there was quite a like chunky frog whose eyes were kind of like further apart on the top of his head. There was one next to him whose pupils were very dilated. (laughs) Like (laughs) he looked like a fully like spaced out Kermit. Like he had just like... Well, I don't know what he would have taken just before this number because his pupils were just like so big in his in his eyeball. It's strange that um that Kermit is the only one that has the kind of eyes that have the two little I don't even know what to call them bits on either side because all the other frogs, including little Proto Robin, have just circle black mm. pupils, but he has those little kind of. I don't even know, inlets? Like, I don't know, what would you call those little bits on the side of his eyes? They're so, like, particular to Kermit. Yeah, I mean, I think it is just their off-the-rack Muppet frogs and (laughs) Kermit is the star of the show, so... But I don't know, it'll be interesting to see if, as again, as the series progresses, whether the frogs become more Kermit-y, as if they're all part of the same froggy family, or whether Mm. there are still those distinctions. I'm also trying to think what the frogs were like in that... The Never Smile at a Crocodile, 
sketch because obviously that's I think that's the only time we've seen other other frogs before. I have to assume they were the, yeah the same. Mm. Ones, I think they but, were, but they were so obscured by all the vegetation. Yeah, you couldn't really <laughs> see them. Mm. But that's it's strange that then that means that that Mary Louise puppet seems to only be paired with frogs. Like <laughs> she, she only gets to do numbers that features <laughs> frogs. Yeah, maybe their act is literally we got this one girl. <laughs> <laughs> and seven we got one girl and seven frogs do you want to book them or not like you know what i mean like that's the act and i will also say the staging of this annoyed me as well like it did with never smile at a crocodile because she kept blocking some of the frogs down the front i didn't understand mm. why it wasn't done more like the glee club sketch with the frogs kind of back a little bit so that they were raised mm. so that you could see mm. her and the frogs at the same time so maybe that's another stipulation in her contract. There needs to be some sort of weird blocking where you can't see all of the frogs. You haven't thought about this staging. Please just think about the staging. I want to see all the Muppets. Even if they are all frogs. I still want to see them. <laughs> Don't worry, Jade. You're going to see them in your dreams when you're trying to get to sleep this evening and that same tune will be just going round and oh, around God, and around in your that. head. I had the freaking elusive butterfly song in my head after we recorded the last episode. I was like... Ugh, why this of all things <laughs> happy together was in that episode why couldn't it have been happy together <laughs> damn you Florence Henderson damn you Florence Henderson <laughs> anyway now do you think the names Mickey Rooney and Napoleon have ever been said in the same sentence before <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> maybe in the MGM backlot when they're like god that little <laughs> kid is like a little mini Napoleon we're sick of him I feel like that's very likely Louis B. Mayer was probably striding around the MGM backlot saying that on a daily basis. Mickey Rooney was a complete nightmare, wasn't he? So like... he was. <laughs> what a again absurd chat with the guest this week. Sort of leading into quite a fun visual gag at the end. Uh didn't see the strings, didn't see his harness no. or anything. So it was very impressively done. But like It was very clever. But again, just completely off the wall. And by that point I was just like God, this episode is so 70s. Like, it's so bizarre. Not to keep harping on about this, but the joke throughout the whole episode was that they weren't going to joke about Paul Williams's height. And again, that feels very much to me like in the same vein as that patter that we were talking about earlier, that the joke is like, oh, I'm not going to mention. And then Kermit's like that you're a you're little bitty small and cute and just like using these terms that are obviously extremely kind of <laughs> like just diminishing <laughs> of Paul Williams yeah, yeah, yeah. and and oh, I don't know it was just very silly but I did enjoy seeing him go up and also when he did go up you could see he was wearing quite large lifts which I was like oh well he did have them on so uh, yeah there you go. no I thought that was funny actually and also I thought it was quite funny when Kermit kind of like compressed down as well yes that was quite yes. funny yeah, I do like it when Kermit just sort of collapses in on himself. It's funny. And again, I always forget he's got like that little round body. He's got <laughs> he's carrying a little weight on him. It's very cute. <laughs> I was quite pleasantly surprised to see the return of an actual kind of like sketch, like a a, a comedy sketch mm-hmm. with the uh, the travel agent bit that followed. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I really liked that blue Muppet, beautiful day Muppet or whatever he's called. Yes, he's the beautiful day monster. I've got to that point in my notes where I can now read it. (laughs) Very good. But like, I loved it. Just, I'd like to go go to Pittsburgh. (laughs) It's like, great. Love it. Such a random destination. (laughs) 
he looked a bit like a Swiffer to me. I don't know what you both felt like. I kind of just wanted to like. I can see that. Put him on the floor and like wipe him around. <laughs> I thought he'd get. Well, he, he does eventually get to that state at the end of the sketch. So that's true. You know. He does. <laughs> It was very good, like although like the the squishing of him with like an actual anvil was so kind of like Looney Tunes kind of style. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's too early in the morning for this kind of like bizarro uh, humor. I think, but I did, I did like the puppet, and I liked the fact that it was just a comedy sketch. Yeah, I liked the fact it was a sketch. It was a little bit repetitive, wasn't it, with him saying like very specific numbers of how you could travel to Pittsburgh by various mm. different methods. But I thought the the overall gag of him then getting squished down and sent to Pittsburgh was was fine. It was funny. I completely allow it. <laughs> um, <laughs> whereas I think like the the next three bits that followed that were all so short with the houses Wayne and Wonder and then Muppet Newsflash. I I mean I don't know whether it's just their placement all next to each other. They would have been better off maybe scattered throughout the episode so that you didn't have so many really really quick fire skits kind of back to back but it felt like it really broke up the flow of the episode to me and also I just didn't I didn't find any of them massively amusing yeah I I feel the same as you Jade I felt like it kind of broke the flow of the Mm. episode it was like you know the talking houses was like one liner Wayne and Wanda was like a one liner and they kind of did their same thing where Wanda was in a magic box being about to be sawn well, in half. Well, that's the thing. They've now, they've now tried to incorporate magic into their into their <laughs> routine to try and, like, freshen it up a little. I still don't understand why Sam the Eagle associates himself with these very adequate singers. Like, it just, it makes no sense to me. Again, what, because they're church folk? I don't get it. Like, well, this week could... they were my kind of people. That's what he said this week. I don't know what that means. I know. <laughs> And uh, I was very disappointed when we did have newsflash that it didn't become the uh, showreel accent bonanza that we usually hope it is. It was just Paul Williams just in his own voice. He didn't even try and do like a, you know, Sandy Duncan Midwest or something like that. It was just, oh. Yeah, I did. I did wonder whether they they were expecting him to do some kind of accent. And he was just like, no. (laughs) Like you say, it normally is like accent showcase time, but... Yeah, no, it was it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> the one thing I did enjoy out of those little three ones was Wanda always seems to have amazing outfits and I really enjoyed that she had sparkly shoes on and also you could see that she had fishnets on and I was like, that's such a level of detail for this teeny tiny little sketch and also like, all she, you know, you can only see the very ends of her legs poking out of the box and yet they still went to the effort of dressing her appropriately as a magician's assistant i was like <laughs> you've got to you've got to respect that i think like i yes. mean i always wear fishnets when i'm on stage i don't <laughs> it's not that much effort <laughs> <laughs> yes but lewis you're not a muppet that someone has to hand craft <laughs> <laughs> you just you just go to m&s and buy some fishnets you know like that's <laughs> that's super How easy dare you i go to primark if i need fishnets <laughs> oh, i'm sorry what am i made of money like jesus <laughs> M&S fishnets. Jesus, big spender. I thought they were your show tights. I do apologise. My dance tights. <laughs> and then we finally get to the payoff of the telephone pole, which I think we've 
basically talked about, but I just want to mention, did anybody else think it sounded like he said his name was Mike Eisnerwitz, as in like Michael Eisner? No, I thought I thought I saw somewhere that it was a nod to Frank Oz's dad or something. Oh. Like a sl- like obviously um, the name, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's true or not um, because he was like a puppeteer as well. Okay, yeah. I love it. None of us could be bothered to look. At <laughs> no, no, no. no. I can like, if you've seen that, that's probably true. That's like that sounds perfectly plausible. Yeah, because my Michael Eisner wasn't at Disney until. Yeah, he um, was at ABC. He actually, um, I think he lit the first pilot that they did, but then it didn't go at ABC. So they knew Mike Michael Michael Eisner. So he was at ABC, but he wasn't at um Disney at that point because ABC wasn't owned by Disney. It probably wasn't owned by Disney at that point, but he um he'd been trying to like sign the Muppets already for quite a while so they they knew michael eisner jim henson ah. knew michael eisner so that that was but but i mean the frank oz thing makes more sense because the when i saw the name written down it was spelt with an oz at the start rather than an ei so that that does make sense that's very cute though but yeah not worth it not worth it. not no. worth the uh, the amount of build that we had definitely not and and i don't agree with statler and wardorf's uh, assessment that Fozzie's never been better or shorter because this went on for a real long time and it was not worth it. So <laughs> you're wrong, Statler and Wardorf. You're wrong. <laughs> we end on it. We end on a very sincere note for this episode with quite a nice little number. I've now completely forgotten what it was called. It's called Sad Song. Oh well, there we go. <laughs> it's another Paul Williams song. It's, oh, so it's all his own original. Yeah, I. I mean, I felt like this kind of really brought the end of the episode down. To be honest, like it was, it was very somber, and it was nice to see the Muppets all joining him in chorus and everything. But it wasn't. I suppose it just wasn't that kind of uplifting, energetic muppet show energy it was quite like melodic Mm. you could see his style of songs because he kind of wrote songs for like the carpenters and they were very Mm. they weren't particularly upbeat songs um so i think it kind of like mirrored very similar songs that he was kind of writing and composing at the time yeah definitely Mm. like melancholic isn't it and and (laughs) a song called sad song sad (laughs) song yeah (laughs) melancholic is a Gonzo making his only appearance of the episode just within the crowd of Muppets mm. who were singing with him. That felt... It's a shame. I don't know why Gonzo suddenly like disappeared. Maybe they're retooling him. I don't know. Maybe it's... Uh, they're trying to work out what his shtick is. I don't know. It was just strange to just see him only pop up there. Yeah. Um, but I did also think that the attention to detail on like Ralph playing the piano was amazing. Like the hands and obviously the keys. Mm. And then when he shuts... The little case over the... I don't know what that's called. the Over the keys. I thought that was really clever. It felt very, I don't know, sincere in some way. Yeah. <laughs> he also kept looking up at Paul as he was singing in a really lovely... Really felt like they were genuinely performing together mm. on stage mm. in this in this very sincere, melancholic number. Um, and the staging was clever as well, you know, with the electric mayhem at the back and then the Muppets mm. surrounding Rolf and Paul at the piano, I thought. And again, you could see everyone. I mean, I think it just goes to show that they, the UK spot, they just don't care. They just do whatever. It's the UK spot. It's not even being seen by everyone. Whereas you can see the care and attention that goes into staging the proper, the proper sketches. Also with Rolf's poem yeah, as well, actually, like really clever use of sort of three planes of puppetry. 
I don't know, it was just a weird end to the episode. I can understand why it was at the end, because actually to put it anywhere else would have made the tone of the episode shift very drastically, wouldn't it, from whatever had come mm. before. Although we did get one little moment at the end of the goodbyes. Paul in a fantastic pink two-piece suit, which I was... <laughs> a three-piece suit, sorry, which I was very jealous of. But then no appearance by his lookalike Muppets. Yeah. He sort of turned up earlier, so I assumed they would pop up again. Maybe they just didn't have time to make three-piece suits for them. <laughs> Well, I think that just about wraps up the episode. So, Lewis, shall we start with you? Who is your MVMP for the week? I think I'm going to have to go back to the beginning of the episode and go for the two uh, All of Me Muppets. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they have particular names, but uh, I just think that entire sketch was perfect and it was so wonderfully delivered. And yeah, and it was really fun. I think I'm just going to go for the little... The little blue critter that was just taking off all of his features. I just also really enjoyed, as more bits and bobs came off, where you could almost see like the elemental beginnings of what you take to be a Muppet Mm -hmm. shape. Like after he took off like a certain bit, I was like, oh, he looks a bit more like a a cookie monster now. Or like, but then once he's got the nose on, he looks a bit more like uh, a Grover or he looks a bit more like a this. And it's, you can kind of imagine a, a world where you could like, God, it just reminds me of that build-your-own-Muppet workshop that used to exist in New York, which I always wanted to do and now it no longer exists. And just, yeah, the idea of being able to build up your own Muppet seems like such a cool little thing. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the All of Me Muppet for my MVMP. Uh, Emma, who's your MVMP for the week? Well, I did have two for this week. I was going to go for um, Rolf, but then I thought I have done him quite a few times before. So I've decided this week my MVMP purely because he stuck it out in showbiz, is George. Yay! Um, Yay, go George. Um, Especially in the silence poem. I just love, he comes on, does his little sweepy action, has a little turn to the camera, gives a wink, raises his eyebrow, and he loves it. So, yeah, I just think for his his performance and the fact that he's stuck in showbiz, um, (laughs) my MVMVP this week is going to be George. How about um, you, Jay? Emma, you keep adding an extra... Do I? (laughs) You've done this a few times, how you go MVMVP. Do I? (laughs) MVMP. There we go. There we go. I was kind of thinking of both of them as well. So not because I feel like we all keep doing the same ones. So I'm going to go <laughs> with Dr. Bunsen Honeydew instead, just because it was so nice to see him. And I was genuinely very, very excited when Muppet Labs showed up. And yes, it was a shame not to see Beaker, but I think this is early iterations. I really enjoyed seeing him in his slightly old school uh, you know, incredibly lo-fi tech uh, research lab. It's like when Mad Men gets their first computer and it's like, <laughs> and it's all just sort Yeah, of or Lou in back. that film Desk Set, you know, with Catherine Hepburn and Spencer <gasps> Tracy. <laughs> yes! Oh my God, Desk Set. Oh, what do they call the machine? It's going to really annoy me. It's got such a silly name. MRAC or something, isn't it? MRAC or something. They gave yes, it a name. MRAC. Hang on. That's oh, such a good hang on, film. I'm just gonna look. It, it, oh, now I want to watch Desk Set. Why is that movie in Cinemascope? There is absolutely no reason for that movie. <laughs> Emma, you're right. Emirac, Electromagnetic Memory and Research Arithmetic... Arithmetic... <laughs> oh no, I can't say it. Arithmetical Calculator. <laughs> I think I've seen it too many times. That's why I knew the name. <laughs> It's such a cute movie. But yeah, so yeah, Dr. Bunsen in his Emirac, <laughs> in his Emirac lab. And his floppy plates and squidgy table. And yeah, just 
I don't know. It was just nice to see him. Nice to see another familiar face, yeah. but for the for the first time on the Muppet Show. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I'm just going to be traditional and go around the same order again. So, Lewis, what's your rating? <sighs> this is a hard one because there were elements of this episode that I really enjoyed, but it didn't feel like it all quite merged. And after a couple of weeks now of having runners that we really did gel with this one really felt like a step back so i think i'm gonna go for five and a half lifts out of ten <laughs> <laughs> five and a half paul williams uh shoe lifts out of ten yeah all right not the best still enjoyable not as bad as it could be because basically we've just had a couple of weeks of really good episodes, or at least better episodes mm-hmm. than this, then I think I have to still uh, mark it down a little bit. Now I'm going to muck it up. Jade, what's your... <laughs> God. <laughs> what's your uh, rating for the week? Uh, yeah, I feel the same as you. Like I feel like overall this episode didn't quite 100% work. And actually, I found like on reflection there was sort of half of the sketches I quite enjoyed and then there were half that I maybe could have either done without or felt like they needed a little bit more refinement or some just something else going on so I've gone for five magician's assistants out of ten <laughs> um, and yeah I was I was kind of reflecting on this compared to some of the other poorer episodes that we've seen and I do definitely think this is this is a marked improvement from the Joel Grey episode like overall there's Oof. there's a lot more to enjoy in this episode but actually I still think like you said with the runner and you know there's not actually that many of our favorite muppets in this episode on the whole and when we do see them like with mm. Fozzie it's in a disappointing way so I'm kind of happy with slap bang in the middle I think this is a middle of the road episode to me I'm still hopeful that as we go through this first season, there's going to be more character development and there's going to be more of the runners that we enjoy. I'm hoping this is just a bit of a, a little bit of a blip, maybe. Yeah. And Emma, do you want to finish off the ratings for us for this week? Yeah, I'm going for a very similar number as you two. I'm going to go for five trips to Pittsburgh out of 10. Um, <laughs> again, kind of Covering what you guys have both said, um, there are some really good bits in this episode, but then there are some quite weak bits. And like you said, Jade, there's not a lot of character development and it kind of falls onto like familiar patter that we've seen with like the short joke or the like the runner wasn't particularly good this week. And I just think it's a shame because, you know, the songs are really good and it was good to see the introduction of like Muppet Labs and also the silence poem by Rolf was really good and George's little mm. bits. But I don't think it kind of, took it to another level or like heightened the overall um the overall show that we saw so yeah i think i am going to go for a five this week i do also want to say i do appreciate the fact that i do now know who paul williams is Mm, yeah and there is something to be said for even in these sort of episodes that we've been watching you know We've come into this fairly blind in terms of not knowing who quite a few of these guest hosts are. Eight weeks ago, I didn't know who Sandy Duncan, Connie Stevens, Juliet Prowse or, you know, Paul Williams were. And now I do. And even in episodes where maybe I don't love it too much, 
I do really appreciate getting to see these people who, you know, 40 years ago had these careers. And by virtue of this podcast, then looking up and finding out that Paul Williams wrote Rainbow Connection, even in times where maybe the episode of The Muppet Show itself doesn't give everything. I am grateful for the opportunity to just expand my knowledge of these sort of people and performers who I otherwise wouldn't have had an exposure to and how great that Disney Plus is now educating a bunch of people about, you know, stars and singers and actors that they might never have otherwise come into contact with. Yeah, I completely agree. And on a very flippant note, my thought the other day was... I'm definitely going to understand a lot more of Amy Sherman Palladino's references at the end of this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's all just uh, prep for episodes of Mrs. Maisel, isn't it? (laughs) Good grief. But it's it's so true. I completely agree with you, Lewis. And it was, you know, it was one of the reasons that I thought all three of us would enjoy doing the podcast was to dive into some people from mid-20th century pop culture who maybe we've either had fleeting experiences of before or you know in some cases none at all Hmm. it's also just even with this like you know we're saying it's a middling episode but both of Paul Williams's songs were very lovely like there's you know and clearly Mm. there's a reason he's had such a illustrious and long-lasting songwriting career clearly very very talented absolutely Jade, why don't you hit us with uh, this week's Muppet philosophy? So this is the first quote we've got that's not from Jim Henson. Ooh, <gasps> special. Ooh. So, <laughs> so this is again from Jim Henson, the biography by Brian J. Jones, and a quote from Paul Williams, who said, Working with Jim Henson was probably the easiest collaboration of my life. He had a sweetness about him, and I don't think he ever got emotionally pulled off course. But I've also never worked with anybody who spent less time over my shoulder. And in the book, it goes on to say that Jim never actually listened to any demos of songs that Williams wrote. He just said he would hear them in the studio. He just trusted him that implicitly, which is kind of amazing when you think of the the great work that Williams produced for the Muppets. Um, So, yeah, there you go. A little bit of amazing, a little bit of Muppet history and a little bit of philosophy about trusting the people that you work with and letting beautiful (laughs) things flourish hire well and don't be a nightmare boss (laughs) (laughs) basically exactly uh thank you so much for listening to muppet stational if you've enjoyed the episode don't forget to subscribe rate and review as it really helps spread the word about the podcast you can follow us on social media. We are at Muppetsational on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can contact us at hiho at muppetspodcast.com. And you can find out more about us and the podcast at muppetspodcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We look forward to having you listen to us again. Uh, until next week, I am Lewis Chandler. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. We're not forcing you. I am Jade Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. <laughs> We'll see you again next week or else on Muppet (laughs) Cultural. Bye. Our theme music is Peppy Pepe by Kevin McLeod and our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge who you can follow at at Charlie underscore R underscore Rudge on Instagram.